0: Hello, race fans. Welcome to another edition of the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. I am your host, Scott Stiller. I want to give all of you a special shout out because this month we are off to our best start in regard to the number of people who listen to the podcast. So thanks for sharing it with your friends. We really appreciate the support of the podcast and of our website, PittsburghRacingNow.com. Coming up on this week's podcast, we're talking with local dirt track racer, AJ Flick, he's a three-time Lernerville track champion in the 410 sprint car division but first we're going to hear from open wheel racer and engineer Sabra Cook she's one of the only Americans competing in the W series and this year when she's not racing in the W series she'll be running a limited road to Indy schedule with team Bennick in the Indy Pro 2000 championship presented by Cooper Tires Joining us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast is open wheel driver Saber Cook. I'm pronouncing that right, correct? Uh yeah, Sabra. 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 Okay, cool. Saber Cook. So, if you folks don't know who she is, she started out in karting. And now she's competing in the W Series and she's going to be driving in the Indy Pro 2000 Championship presented by Cooper Tires once we can uh, drop the green flag on the racing season since uh, COVID-19 has thrown the red flag on everything. Sabra, thanks for taking time out of your day. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me, when did you first become a race fan? Approximately how old were you and what gravitated you towards the sport?
1: Well, I guess I I was kind of born into the motorsports world because my dad used to race motocross and supercross professionally back in the eighties. And so I was, I have a photo of me. I was actually born on uh, a weekend. My parents used to run a supercross event and my mom got rushed to the hospital like while she was working and then uh, to have me on the weekend. And then I have three months in, I have a photo of me on my dad's motorcycle just you know while before he's ready to go do like a vintage race or something so i was kind of yeah it was never not a part of of my life and then my dad found karting after he retired and um obviously because he loves the adrenaline of of everything like that and then he got me into my brother in it when i was about eight years old
0: so you started out born into it and then you started competing at what age roughly
1: Um, I would say I would have, it wasn't really serious when I was about eight, but more competitively when I was about 10.
0: And, uh, what did you like about the carts? Tell me about what really, you know, most kids, you know, they want to play everything from football, softball, soccer, or whatever the case may be. And, uh, what gravitated you, uh, other than, you know, your natural family affinity for motorsports, what gravitated you towards the carts?
1: Um, well, I mean, I was still definitely one of those kids that wanted to play all the sports. I did a ton of different things and wanted to be good at all of them. But with racing, I think obviously it was great to have, um, it was like a good community to be around. And, you know, I had that family involvement as well as, you know, a traditional sport. Your parents drop you off, you practice with your team, and then they come and pick you up. So I enjoyed the fact that I got to spend more time with my dad and, um, you know, my my uncles and my grandpa doing stuff like that. But from the just the purely sport side of it, I, I really enjoyed, I mean, I'm very competitive and um, I love the fact that, you know, you, that you could do, there's such small changes that you just really have to work on honing every little thing to, you know, to give the best performance. And I like the fact that it also brings in, you know, the, the engineering, the science and technology side of things and being able to learn about that as well as driving. So it's just kind of, I enjoyed the whole atmosphere around it
0: and how many years have you raced competitively so if you're 10 so you're probably i'm guessing at least 15 years or so uh
1: yeah yeah 15.
0: so you talked a little bit about uh, how you were able to tie in the engineering a lot of kids at a young age can't get that connection and part of that i think is you know schools that they teach out of the textbook but they don't really give you that, at least when I was growing up, they didn't give you the kind of hands-on application that you do now. It's it's funny, when I talk to kids today, it's all about drawing that parallel. So what kind of lit the spark yeah. in uh, you to pursue engineering studies?
1: Um, I guess I'd always been one of those kids a bit more of a, a nerd, where, because I, I enjoyed school, I liked school, I really loved to learn, and I, I still do. So... For me, it was just part of my really enjoyable school experience. And then I guess I leaned towards the science and technology side of things because I felt like it amazed me at a young age, like how it applies to everything in our lives. So everything is connected through, you know, the basic principles of science. And I always wanted to see, you know, I wanted to know how things worked, And so it just became a natural progression and my love of school. And then obviously influence from my, like, you know, my dad and my grandpa are, um, are inclined that way as well, and so I think it was a um, kind of. I, I just had a great environment to foster that, as well as some great teachers, and then uh, just kept pursuing that path. and Took a mechanical engineering class in high school and loved it, and then I uh, decided to go to Car School of Mines, um, and yeah, got my got my bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering.
0: So, when you got the bachelor 's degree, what were you figuring on doing after that? Were you going to keep working as a driver, or did you think maybe i 'll jump on a pit box and become an engineer for a race team, or were you trying to mold those two together
1: um i guess i i didn 't really know i mean my, anything that i 've learned as I grow up is that life never goes to plan, so at that point, when I graduated, i realized like you know I would love to my ultimate goal would be you know to be a a lead f1 race engineer that would be great but i also still obviously wanted to pursue the driving side of things the driving side of things is more age dependent but when i graduated i was like i love engineering i'm going to try and incorporate it in any way that i can but i've also kind of got to put racing more in the forefront at least for now at this period in my life so i guess that's kind of the the order that i've tried to pursue my my careers right now
0: so obviously with the karting background that translates to an open wheel uh race background so uh when did you jump from the karts into your first open wheel car
1: um, well, actually, I think karting really can help you and go into any, any of the forms of motorsport. I don't think it's just open wheel. Cause I mean, you learn great racecraft and everything like that. You can take that into NASCAR, you can take that into sports cars, anything. So, um, but open wheel, I first got into open wheel, not until I was 22 years old. So I didn't move to cars until that age. And it's really quite late, um, compared to, you know, the, the norm nowadays when they're like 15, 16 and you're in, you know, you're in an F4 car or something similar to that. So I just couldn't find the budget before then And uh, but happy that I finally was able to make it.
0: And you touched on something, there. are happy to find the budget. Uh, how much of the pursuit of sponsorship are you involved in and what are some of the things that you uh, try and tell sponsors and what advice could you give the local racers here in town about uh, going out and procuring that kind of investment from a company or from an individual?
1: Um, As far as sponsorship goes, I mean, I I manage myself and I obviously have great people around me that I can ask for advice, but like my dad or um, current sponsors or family friends or great business people. But um, I actually manage and pursue all of those, all of those avenues on my own. Um, but for people that are looking to obviously get more in, into sponsorship and know how to get more of it for, for local stuff like that, um, I would recommend finding a tactic that sets you apart, that makes you unique, um, makes you personable, and, um, when you're approaching a company, maybe, you know, go, go into it and try and do a ton of research on them and find, you know, what their kind of core values are and identify what their why is and try and uh, basically appeal to that when you approach them. And, um, a lot of times, I mean, it's obviously, it's hard to sell fake sponsorships when you're going karting or whatever, like. Stuff, things like that, because it's hard to show you know, a return on investment for businesses. So sometimes it's not always thinking, okay, well, let me just sell, you know, sponsorship uh, based on, you know, advertising, based on, based, based on my cart and food, blah, blah, blah. You got to think outside the box and think maybe how can I do a B2B connection and get sponsorship and, and investment through that.
0: You touch on something. One of the uh, local racers that I talked to, his wife is involved with uh, – Wicked Cushion and Dirty Mouth Communications. And she said that racers need to get out of the mindset of you can have X amount of space for X amount of dollars. And you really need to look at it as what can I do for your company?
1: Yeah, exactly. It becomes a partnership. And, you know, you need to be willing to kind of almost like take it as a, as a family in some ways when you get those really good partners. And that I think when you treat it like that and you treat it as someone that you want to help them grow just as much as you want them to help you, then it builds those sponsorships that come back year after year and want to help you continue to grow in your career.
0: So when you're out and about and you're doing your thing, how much is social media of a partner or maybe partner's not the right word, but how much are you using social media to help not only your own program, but also to give you that extra added value for your partners?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I use social media quite a bit just because, I mean, it's, it's become essential nowadays with how, how life is and building your brand and, and making sure you're, you know, you're building that exposure and building your audience. So I think um, my sponsors do appreciate the exposure that it gets to there and uh, and the audience that I can reach with it. Um, I think I still need to get better at it. Um, I'll be honest, if I if I didn't have to have it, I probably wouldn't, but it's become a necessary evil, I guess. But um, it can be fun, you know. You just try and look at it as um, trying to be creative with the content you're putting out there, and and make it personable. But obviously, not not don't you don't need to share your entire life on there. So it's just finding about finding the right balance, basically.
0: Well, you do a great job with it, I'll tell you that because uh, I, I try and follow as many drivers as I can, especially younger drivers like yourself and people that are coming up through the ranks. The guys that have made it at the highest levels, they don't they don't need the kind of help. And they don't need the exposure, so you know they, they they can get it just by you know what they're doing on the track, and and their their big time sponsors also help facilitate that. So yeah, walk me through a little bit how you transitioned into the open wheels. I know you had a uh, a good run in out of Pittsburgh International a couple of years ago. That's when I first actually heard your name. So, uh, tell me a little bit about your run out there that day and, uh, what the, those couple of years for you were like,
1: uh, you mean, are you talking about the, the formula enterprise race that I was my first ever race in a car? Yes. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. You finished oh, okay. second out here. Yeah. That, so that was like, that was my first, first car race ever was, was that race. And, um, i actually it was a spec for it, but I think that was the first race I did in the open wheel car. So uh, I guess from then oh my gosh there's so much that I've learned over the last few years I mean I I guess it's easy to say like I don't even know really that, who that person was back then like or even how I mean I did but just like it's it's crazy to think like what my thought process might have my thought process might have been back then versus now and just looking back on all that I've learned and all the things that I I mean I wish I would have known obviously at the time but um from from then um, you know, did some did continued more amateur things in the SCCA and, um, then the next year got a, a little bit more budget to be able to do a few of the USF 2000 races here in the States, um, and then did a couple USF four races and then I won the infinity engineering Academy in 2018 as well. So that's why I moved to the UK last year. And then last year I ran primarily in, um, in, in W series in the F three cars, um, and did that, and then um, worked for Renault F one and worked for infinity. and then this year now um, I've got opportunity. I did you know I did a race in nine nine seven and Sebring, and then I did um, some testing in the Indy Pro car, and we were about to go for the for the season starter in St Pete, and that got canceled. So um, unfortunately haven't gotten started on the season yet, but looking forward to running a few races in Indy Pro 2000 this year, as well as the W Series again. And then I'll hopefully get to do um, a, a few other select sports car events. And I'm s- scheduled still to do the Champ Car Endurance Race at Daytona in the beginning of April, but I'm not sure if that's going to come through or not because of uh, because of everything with the coronavirus, but fingers
0: crossed. Yeah, I was down in St. Pete as well. I, w- I think everybody was just so, I mean... For us living in the in the Northeast, Midwest, anybody that lives in a climate where you get a steady, steady dose of cold temperatures and snow, everybody was ready to do a little racing and enjoy some sunshine at the track. And then, you know, the yeah, exactly. coronavirus thing killed us. So uh, tell me a little bit about the engineering, uh, Infinity Engineering Academy and what you did for them and and how that has translated into helping you as a race car driver.
1: Um so for the Infinity Engineering Academy, I so it's a year long placement. Um I did six months at Infinity Technical Center in uh Cranfield in UK. And then I did six months at Renault F one and uh at Infinity I was working in vehicle testing and then at Renault um I was working um in suspension composite design. So I helped um I, I did the uh rooftop wishbone on this year's twenty twenty car.
0: Oh, that is very cool. So once they get out on the track, you can, you know, uh, uh, describe the feeling that creating something like that and seeing it go from start to finish, uh, describe the, how that makes you feel. And then, you know, eventually you'll get to see it out on the track.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, it felt really, really great. Um, I, couldn't be happier that they, you know, gave me the responsibility to be able to contribute to something like that. And I learned so much. I was just really thankful for the opportunity, but I'm very excited to, to be able to see that my parts made it onto the car and, and hope that we hope for a, you know, better, better season this year for Renault. And I wish them all the best.
0: Now, when you uh, ran the W Series last year, you were one of only two Americans to compete in the W Series. And one of the questions that I wanted to ask you about that experience is how difficult was it to go to tracks that you had never been on before?
1: Um, I mean, it it was difficult because, I mean, there's obviously a lot to learn and it gives you a little bit of a disadvantage when you have girls that have been there before, but um, in some ways I, I kind of like going to new tracks because, you know, you have no pre- preconceived notions, um, versus if it's like your home track, you know, I think sometimes you get a bit stuck too much in muscle memory. So that was a, a fun new experience and there were such great tracks and, you know, really historic places. So I really enjoyed it and I made sure to always try and get good time on the sim before each race weekend. So it's not like I was going in blind and was like, okay, which way do I turn now? So, uh, Cranfield University actually really helped me um, with that, and I got on their sim quite a bit um, in preparation before each race weekend.
0: It's it's pretty amazing how far the sims have come, because even now with a lot of the uh, cancellations, uh, there were guys, uh, you know, professional racers like yourself that were out there running sim races this past weekend, and, you know, I, I, it's pretty incredible how far that's come. In terms of someone who's... Driven the sim and then driven on the track, is it as realistic as it seems? How close is it to actually competing?
1: I mean, it's never going to replace seat time. It never. I don't think. I mean, we're we're not there yet. I don't. Maybe the technology could one day get there, but uh, as of right now, you know, nothing is ever going to replace that feeling of actually being in the car. Um, There is a few a few sims that I've been in that you know they get close, um, but then you, you. I think it's kind of, for me, I, I feel like you need to either be in a really good sim. Um, that's very pretty, really close to being accurate with the physics and the dynamics of the car, or you need one that doesn't move at all and just has realistic wheel and pedals. Cause the ones that kind of move, but aren't really realistic. I think it's just kind of, it's just in a weird place. And it kind of almost, there is certain things you can work on skill wise, but then it becomes, sometimes it becomes how well you can drive the game, you know, rather than working on dri- driver development skills. So, Um, But yeah, I think think it it has its purpose and it really can be used as a good tool to to prepare in the right way.
0: So you have to be pumped up to, you mentioned St. Pete, but you also have to be pumped up about the W Series this year. I I kind of felt last year that the Series got some undue criticism because, you know, before cars even rolled out on the track, people were like, if you're going to do this, you know, you should be mixing the guys with the girls and whatnot. And to me, I thought, this is just unbelievable exposure that someone's willing to do it. And I kind of thought it wasn't, a, given the series, a fair shake.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was a bit unfortunate that everyone was a bit negative on it going into the beginning of the season. But I, I completely understand everyone's skepticism because I was skeptical at first when I heard about it. Um, but then once I think everyone realized what it was and it wasn't, the series is like, it's very clear. I'm Just putting it out there, like the series is not saying that we need our own series to run because we're females. The series has purely been created as, it's basically a driver development program that gives girls seat time, access to fitness coaching, mental coaching, and everything that prepares them and develops them into a better driver. So that way they can go and be in other series and be more successful in other series. So they're, it's, you know, they're not saying at all that they want to sustain only race W series. Like their whole goal is to put women in in the higher levels of motorsports, And they, they made that very clear to us, like at the very first event that we ever did in Austria. So it was, um, it's definitely a, a great experience for everyone. And I'm glad that everyone is kind of seeing that it, that's, you know, what it's intended purpose really is.
0: Now, would your ultimate goal be to get in an F1 car or an Indy car or something along those lines?
1: Uh, Yeah, Indy car is definitely my my ultimate goal.
0: So you're going to run the uh, Indy Pro 2000 series this year. Uh, How many racers are you going to do? And tell us a little bit about your team.
1: Well, I was set to do six races, and as of right now, now we're down to um, five. Now I have no idea what Um They're well, I guess yeah, because I guess St. Pete is is canceled. But I think that they're going to try and maybe add in another race or something on a on a race weekend that's already still scheduled to make up for it. But I'm not sure yet. So. We're just kind of in a holding pattern, waiting to see when everything's going to be rescheduled. And then the only problem I run into is if they start rescheduling the races on the same weekend, as so the W Series races, then I, you know, per contract, I, I can't run those events. So then it kind of gets a bit a bit less. But as of right now, I'm hoping it's going to kind of stay in, in the order that it's going and maybe the COTA one will get rescheduled um, around the other races. So five events is what I would do for the rest of the season if everyone, everything kind of stayed um, in the plan that it's going in now. Uh, it would be Coda Road America, Mid-Ohio, Laguna Seca, um, NDGP, and I think that yeah, I think that's it. Um, so fingers crossed, get to do all those still. And then, yeah, the, the rest of the eight races that I'll do in open-wheel car will be with W Series.
0: And when does the W Series fire up?
1: Study series starts at the end of, well, the end of May is when it was supposed to start with um, the first race in St. Petersburg, Russia. We were actually supposed to have a preseason test that was supposed to be in the very beginning of May um, in Valencia, but that has been canceled uh, already. So it's kind of up a bit up in the air, and obviously Russia has kind of limited all the visas that they're granting at the moment. So now uh, all of us need pieces to get into Russia for the race where everything is, you know, everything's really on hold right now. So I'm not really sure what's going to happen.
0: So in this downtime, what are you doing uh, to stay prepared and keep your skills sharp?
1: Uh, Downtime? Actually, I know everyone's like really stressed about staying home and having to, you know, take time to to quarantine themselves. But I think everyone should be more positive about it because I'm trying to look at it as great I have all this like extra time now to catch up on things that I need to and you know, really work on the skills that you know I need I know need to get stronger going into the season so you know I'm in the, I'm well not in the gym because our gym is closed but you know working out um trying to you know get stronger get fitter um and then I'm trying to see if I can maybe try to do some sim racing uh, if I can get um, a decent setup here at my house and then, uh, uh the track, and uh, we have local karting track here that actually my family owns. So, um, go there and, um, just, you know, help out where I can work. I've been working on the carts and then I can still drive around the cart track, you know, when I can. And hopefully, um, yeah, that doesn't get shut down anytime soon, but that's, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. And then just taking the time to, you know, you know read tons, plenty of books and just stay up on on the sponsorship kind of things and use use my time efficiently now that i've you obviously know, that we've been we should think as we've been blessed with
2: extra time
0: now not to go down a negative road but if the driving thing doesn't work out do you see yourself pursuing uh the engineering side of the sport maybe getting up on top of an indycar pit box or an f1 pit box and being a, a race engineer
1: Uh yeah, definitely. That's, um, I think even, even if it doesn't like does or doesn't work out regardless of that, um, ultimately later on in my career, that's what I would like to, to be able to do.
0: I know a couple of the IndyCar engineers, like the first guy that popped into my head is Chris Simmons, who works for Chip Ganassi. You know, he used to be a driver and, you know, he transitioned to the pit box led Dario Franchitti to a couple of titles, led Dixon to a title, and now he's basically running their engineering program since they expanded to three cars. So, uh, I mean, there's plenty of guys and gals that have done it. Uh, I don't know if you know Kate Gunlack, who used to work for Ganassi, but she went to the University of Pittsburgh, got her engineering degree. She was the assistant engineer on Dixon's car last couple of years, and she worked on Charlie Kimball's car too so, uh, yeah. It's great to see so many women involved in engineering, and I think it kind of surprises people when they go to the racetrack to see all the ladies running around. But for someone like myself who's been covering racing for a while, we're almost kind of uh, used to it, which I think is a good thing.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a good thing, and I, I'm really glad that there's more women that are getting into it and really seeing that it is a feasible career option for them because i think still a lot of a lot of women and girls don't think it is so i'm definitely glad that the numbers are growing but i really think we still need to you know there still needs to be more and i think there's a lot of programs that are you know coming about that are trying to get that put and get that you know the numbers up
0: so as far as right now with everything that's been canceled or put on hiatus when does it look like you'll be in the car next
1: As of right now, um, I still have a champ car endurance race scheduled at the beginning of April at Daytona. So that is, that has not been canceled yet, knock on wood. Um, so that's, as of right now, April 11th is, is the next date, but, um, if not, then it, it looks like it wouldn't be maybe until the Indy GP with, um, Indy Pro 2000.
0: And that I in, think uh, the is the beginning of May. That's like May 9th, I think. Because the Speedway yeah. right now, from what I said what I've read and what I've I've talked to a couple of folks there, they're trying to keep everything on schedule. And and who better than Roger Penske to kind of navigate this ship now that he's uh, taken over the series in the Speedway? And I'm quite frankly, I'm hoping that under Penske's guidance, they help Anderson Promotions and the Road to Indy Ladder kind of strengthen the feeder series because I think that's one of the things that helps NASCAR is you know the truck series, the ARCA series, the Xfinity series. So I think if if IndyCar pumps up the feeder series, it would ultimately help the IndyCar series uh, continue to grow because you need that steady stream of talent.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it, it's, you know, it helps everyone if the feeder series continue to grow. So I really hope that the, that the numbers can, can you know, improve. And I think they already have. I mean, honestly, we had, I think it was like 16 going into um, the St. Pete weekend. And I hope that Anderson Promotion really does all that they can to um, help get competitors out there and get going in the road. Indy.
0: So who is helping you get on the track this year? Let's talk about a couple of your sponsors before we let you go, because I know they're, they're the lifeblood of racing. They're the lifeblood yes, of what we're trying are. to do. <laughs> you know, we, we, we can't cover the races without advertisers, and you can't get on the track without sponsors.
1: Yes. Um, so this year, um, I have um, a great group of people. I have some people that have come back that have been supporting me for a long time and some new faces. So I've got Apple Motorsports. Um, Extract Technologies I've got um, Alpine Bank, Instruments Candies GJ Home Builders Bell Helmets um, Iron Neck and I'm hoping to announce a couple more here soon that have have jumped on board but um, right now I've got a great group of people around me and I've got Team Bennett that I'm racing Indy Pro 2000 with and then obviously with W Series um, they've got Rocket that's promoting the series as well as Puma and uh, ESP uh, so it's, and high-tech is running the cars so just we've got lots of lots of good things going and I can't thank my personal sponsors enough for getting me to where I am today and uh, continuing to help me push my career forward.
0: Well you have our email add us to your immediate contact list so we can keep uh, keep an eye on what you're up to every day we run a racing notebook so when uh, you have some news to announce let us know we'll include it in our racing notebook <laughs> And uh, our plans right now are to cover the the month of May out at Indianapolis and we'll be at mid-Ohio. So hopefully we can run into you and get an update on how your year's going.
1: Definitely. I I hope to see you guys there and I hope you guys stay healthy and well. (laughs) And I'll see you there soon.
0: Definitely. Stay safe. uh, Practice that social distancing. And uh, we (laughs) absolutely appreciate the time you've taken out of your day to join us.
1: No problem at all. Thank you guys so much
0: for having me. Thanks. We appreciate it. Saber, Sabra, shoot me. <laughs> that's I'll get it right good. one of these days. Uh, it's kind of hard to get. That's why I asked you at the beginning, and I knew I'd screw it up at some point in time. And it's my only job is to get people's names right. you think I could do that.
1: No, it's okay. Mine, mine's a tricky one, so I don't blame you.
0: It's very cool, by the way. Oh, thank you. So, cool. We appreciate it. We'll keep uh, track of your season and how it's going. And uh, we hope to catch up with you at Indy and at Mid-Ohio. And best of luck to you. Hopefully, we'll see you waving that checkered flag from the podium.
1: Oh, we'll see. We'll see. I hope so. But, yeah, I'll I'll look out for you guys when when we get there.
0: Awesome. Have yourself a great day. Thanks for the time.
1: No problem. Thank you. Have a good day.
0: Awesome to talk to Sabra. I think we'll be hearing a lot from her when the green flag drops in the racing world. In order for that to happen, everybody needs to follow the CDC guidelines in regard to the coronavirus pandemic.
2: COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. There are a few ways to help lower the spread of this respiratory disease. Wash your hands. Avoid touching your face, including mouth, nose, and eyes. Cover your coughs and sneezes. Monitor your symptoms and consult with your doctor. Stay at home and away from other sick people except for medical care. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov forward slash COVID-19. Thank you.
0: Shifting gears to the local dirt track scene, we had a chance to catch up with A.J. Flick. He's actually had a chance to get on the track before COVID-19 brought out the red flag joining us on the pittsburgh racing now podcast driver of the number two red robin ferguson heating and air conditioning fence by maintenance services 410 sprint car aj flick aj thanks for taking time out of your schedule
3: oh it's awesome to be on i can't thank you guys for having me
0: oh no problem We're, we're glad to have you on and uh let me ask you when did you first get into racing as a fan uh, I
3: think uh, my father and my mother ended up taking me to my first race when I was just a couple weeks old. Uh, my mother grew up very close to the Speedway. That's where she ended up meeting my father. And then obviously my father and my grandfather had been involved with uh, racing for basically their entire lives. So a lot of it is just being born into it. Um, the blood is already running through your veins. You know what I mean? But uh, as I continued to grow up, we ended up getting into go-karts and Um, I just had a will to keep racing. Uh, My father stuck by my side, and we've been through it ever since.
0: Did your dad race?
3: Yeah, my grandfather raced uh, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and my uh, father raced as well. He ran uh, Dirt Big Block Modified, um, Lernerville Challenger. uh, Sharon, he was champion at uh, Lernerville and Challenger a couple times, and he also ran Asphalt Modifieds at Motor Drum at Jennerstown and has a ton of wins and championships there, too.
0: I was going to say that the name rang a bell, but I wasn't sure because we used to go down to Motorrome. I uh, used to years ago. I used to work for one local Ford dealer, so we'd shoot down to Motordrome and I remember uh, there was a guy there that actually uh, he was one of the Drome track champions who bought a Joe Gibbs car, and a couple of weeks later he made his debut up at Michigan, Richard Mitchell, and he seemed to do fairly well but just like everybody else you know sponsorship is the name of the business and if, if you don't have the money behind you you can't compete at the arca series at that level without a serious chunk of change
3: yep and that, that name right there richard mitchell that was a talent that's for sure
0: yeah no doubt about it so so you got into it you're basically born into it so you've you've had racing running through your veins when did you get to the point where you were like, okay, I want to jump into a go-kart? About what age were you?
3: Uh, I was five, I believe, when I started. Um, we only got to run a couple times uh, throughout that season. When I was five, I think we had like four or five shows at the end of the year. Um, and then, obviously, uh, I have a early March birthday, so I was six by the time we started racing again. Um, I really didn't know, like – it's tough to answer, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I was so young like that. You know, um, being a kid, you want to do everything. You want to go outside. You you want to go to races, You anything, You just all sports. You just want to get into trouble. Um, but my father ended up getting me a new go-kart, and I showed a ton of interest in it from that point forward, ever since we went to our first practice session. So we just decided to keep at it. And if there was ever a time when I said I didn't want to race anymore, then my parents were more than willing to back out of it. But uh, lucky enough, I never said those words.
0: So, what age did you transition from the go-kart, and what did you transition into?
3: In 2008, we got a call from a longtime family friend, Larry Matters, and we ended up driving his streets. It was like a strictly stock. It had a 355 in it, um, 8-inch tires, though. uh, So, it wasn't a full-blown sportsman, and we had to weigh a lot more. I think my car weighed like 3,600 pounds. Um, But I was 15 years old, and we ran that on Saturdays. Uh, but I still ran go-karts on either, uh, Friday when dad wasn't racing at Lernerville or we would go to, uh, somewhere on Sunday and race. So I was kind of pulling double duty, but in two different classes at that time. And then in regards to, uh, the strictly stock, we ran that for two seasons. We did all right with it, but then, uh, we started building our own street stock, my father and I, and the strictly stock, uh, ended up getting, a ton of mechanical failures, just the maintenance wasn't kept up on it very well. So when we'd show up to the racetrack, um, we usually ended up going home after not finishing a race. Uh, we decided just to start focusing more of our time on the strictly, or on the street stock that my father and I was building. So we ended up racing NASA and we debuted at like June of 2010. And we ended up running, I believe, four years in that division.
0: And then from there, did you end up into the 410, or did you start at a, in a different uh, sprint car?
3: Uh, nope, we ran the street stock um, from 2010 till 2000 till the end of 2013, and then at the end of 2013, we jumped from a street stock to a 410 sprint. And uh, the 2014 season was our rookie season. So now it's 2020, and I believe this is the start of our seventh full time season going sprint car racing.
0: So uh, tell me about the differences that you noticed between the cars from going from the go-kart to the, basically the, the street stock and then to the 410.
3: Uh, the go-kart to the Strictly stock, by far the biggest difference was the steering. Um, we didn't have a quickener or anything in the Strictly stock, and I hadn't even gotten my street license by then because I was only 15. So uh, I was very, very slow on the steering. I was falling behind on it. Um, if I didn't counter steer quick enough, we would end up, uh, pushing real bad or getting real loose and it would either cause me to spin out or I just push up the racetrack. Um, but, uh, within two weeks or so, we ended up putting a steering quickener into the, into the strictly stock. And as soon as we did that, um, our performance changed drastically. We were all of a sudden a much faster race car. We ran more competitively and then, uh, there was really no difference between that and the, Street stock that we built when we moved into it in 2010, just getting used to a little more power. It was a 355 to a 358, and then uh, the car was a little bit wide or lighter, and it had wider tires. Uh, the biggest difference, though, going from the street stock to the sprint car, I, I could go on for days about this one. Uh, the biggest difference in my mind that I usually refer to is with a street stock, 30 200 pounds, 355. Um, If you go into a corner and there's a foot of bite, you'll just blow right through it. Uh, But when it comes to a sprint car, uh, all the aero downforce, uh, how much they weigh, 1,400 pounds with the driver in it. Um, If you go into a corner and it's got six inches of bite, you can just leave your foot planted and the thing will just rotate. Just uh, drive down on the left rear and you can just haul down the back straightaway or the front straightaway. So it's quite amazing and it took a lot of getting used to to figure out how hard you could actually push these cars.
0: I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is how hard you can push a sprint car.
3: Yeah, there's, I mean, I, I, I tested a super late model once. I uh, drove a modified from my girlfriend's father a couple of times. And don't get me wrong, there's people out there way better than I am in those vehicles. But uh, they just, they don't go as fast. You can't usually hold them wide open like the sprint car sometimes. They don't always feel like they're on the ragged edge. Um, there's just not as much uh, horsepower they just don't feel as uh violent, I guess you would say. Those sprint cars, that motor right there underneath you, the drive shaft going between your legs, um, just instant power, instant response. It's by far the most ridiculous and thrill giving vehicle I've ever been in.
0: And you guys are are driving those things, even though you're you know, even on the straightaways, you're you can always see the guys working it and i think that's one of the things that people love about sprint car racing is is it, it is watching the drivers drive them
3: by far and uh, one of the other things too it's not just the handling of the car and uh, what it takes to make one go around the speedway there's so much of these cars that are dependent on aero so i mean if you've got a strong crosswind going across the back straightaway one day i mean that car is going to be a handful even if you have got to set up right and you're fast and you're in open air that's just the way it is. Um, those big sideboards and the big wings on them. That wind will catch it, and it'll move your car two lengths to the right or two lengths to the left.
0: I think that's one of the reasons sprint car guys, uh, the some of the most successful indie car drivers in history came from sprint cars. And I think you know the correlation between that, especially when the indie cars broke out the era of the wings. It, it's guys recognizing that and knowing how to handle and compensate for what the wind and the weather's doing.
3: Yeah, I can't, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, uh, some of these people have the gifts to be able to see the air, what they always said about uh Earnhardt senior, why he was so good on plate races. Um, I believe that, uh, I believe that's really a thing when it comes to the sprint cars and, uh, maybe the Indy cars, a lot of it is, you don't want to be behind them like a draft. You want to try and get your open air so you can get as much downforce as possible. But at the same time, you have to be able to put your car in positions where they'll still get around corners, even though you're not taking the proper arc you need to because you're following somebody else.
0: You know, it's interesting you say that because uh, I I didn't realize until I was actually in the infield at one of the tracks at how much of the draft, and, you know, you always hear guys, you know, I'm trying, searching on a line. But, you know, the line for bite is one thing, but there's also a line – for downforce, I would think. Uh, am I saying that correctly?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I understood what you're saying. Um, one thing that we've learned running out of Port Royal, big half-mile track, uh, I to a B-Main there one night, and I turned, just assumed it was like an 18-second lap. Um, we ended up lining up in the back uh, of the feature because that's where I ended up going and transferring to after the B-Main run. I didn't change anything to the car because I thought we were really good. And throughout the entire race, I was absolute garbage. I couldn't get the car to work. And our fastest lap was like two and a half seconds slower than what we ran in the B main. And there was nothing on the track between the B main and the feature. It was virtually the same speedway. And my B main lap time ended up being, it would have been second quickest lap time of the entire feature race. So the only difference that changed is instead of having open air like the B main, I ended up having dirty air in the back of the feature. And when we learned that, we realized how big of a deal it is to try and find your own clean air, make the car to work in dirty air. And it's just been a huge learning curve since then. I mean, without access to wind tunnels and things like that, um, it takes a lot of time.
0: So you got into the sprint car, did you say 2012?
3: Uh, 2014 was our rookie season.
0: 2014. Then 2015, you roll off uh, a track championship at Lernerville, and then you did – Uh, Was it 17 and 18, correct?
3: Yeah, and we were second and 16 and second and 19, or third and 19, but only by like one or two points.
0: I was talking to Jack Sodeman uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, uh, the one race you had last year, you had some mechanical issues coming down the stretch, and he said that's one of the most disappointing things that really all the competitors share is that you hate to see guys have problems, Because you won, in order to be the champion, you want to be the champion because you beat everybody when they were at their best.
3: Yeah, I mean, what it comes down to is obviously the consistency. And you win races by being fast, but you win titles by being consistent. And there's no questions asked. I think we were arguably one of the top two cars at Lernerville last year. Uh, Every night that we finished, we were first or second. And I think I won two or three times, and I was second like six or seven. And they were all to different people. Um, but nonetheless, you have, we had one mechanical failure. We broke a spur gear while leading. Uh, we ended up getting involved in an accident when we were running second one night. And then there was just a freak situation where, uh, we were having mechanical failures with a motor and we were not able to fire up and we ended up, uh, not even transferring out of the race that night. So, um, just a bad circumstance, I guess you would say bad situation. Uh, I think we definitely let a title slip away in 2019. That would have been pretty cool to have four and six years, but. At the same time, it didn't happen, so you can't dwell on it. But the one good thing we know is that we have the speed, so if we can just put our consistency back together like we've proven to do in the past, uh, we can just match 2020 up to be a pretty good year.
0: So when you look back at each year of from your championship years and your the years where you finished second, uh, do you pull good and bad out of it, or how do you evaluate it so when you go on to that next year uh, you can uh, advance your program?
3: Um. Good question, Scott <laughs> uh, A lot of it comes down to how well you run um, The two years that we ended up losing the title uh, We won a ton of races But we weren't consistent We had mechanical failures Whereas the years that we Seemed to be consistent Which was 2015, 2017 I think only won like one race or two races Each of those years But we were consistent enough to put the title together and then we finally had one complete package in 2018. We were consistent every week and we did one a ton of races and we were real good in the points by the end of the year and locked that up. But when it comes down to your final race of the season, once that's done, our goal is usually to step back, start evaluating what tracks we were good at, what conditions we were good in, what, what, uh, how we ran when we started up front, how we ran when we started in the back. And then once we get a minute to sit down and think about it, we're not in kind of rush panic mode to get the car ready for the next race then we can kind of gauge how we need to approach the next season. And that's when we start talking to product suppliers, um, even fans to see what they thought. Uh, we'll talk to some race car chassis builders, um, technology specialists, things of that nature, and we'll start attacking where we think our weaknesses are.
0: So when you are formulating your off-season things, when do you start uh, reaching out to Sponsors, potential sponsors, people to, you know, get behind the effort for the following year.
3: a uh, combination of basically beginning of off season, end of off season. Um, I've got a lot of loyal supporters uh that I know are gonna support me and back me under any circumstance. Um, Ferguson Heating and Air Conditioning, Treneggia Construction, Fence by Maintenance Service, Red Robin, Gourmet Burgers, and uh we're in kind of uh written contracts with them that uh, obligate when I'm allowed to receive my partnership payment, I guess you would say. Um, However, there are a lot of instances where I try and approach new sponsors prior to the beginning of the season, basically to make certain that they have a little bit of marketing value left over in their cap space. Um, Because I know a lot of those businesses, depending on how big they are, usually try to have that stuff figured out before the new year.
0: So when you're looking at the current situation we're running into where races are being canceled, How does that affect the business side of things for you?
3: So far, it hasn't impacted me too much. Um, I've built up a good enough connection with, I would say, every single one of my partners. They're all my friends. They're not family, but I treat them like they are. And I'm not in a bad position to say that they're going to leave me because we've lost a couple races. Um, However, I do know the question you're asking. And there absolutely are people out there that are held to contractual obligations where they must attend certain races. They must be a part of a certain amount of races a year. They must um, have certain amount of fan views a year, social media views, things of that nature. It's part of the, the contract that they're in, and those guys are the ones that are suffering. I do have a little bit of a, a break because of how I partnered everything, uh, but I know there's a lot of people that aren't quite as lucky as I am.
0: A couple of weeks ago, we were talking with Kristen Swartzlander, and she was talking about the opportunities that exist for companies that want to get into dirt racing because it, it is really, you know, when I look at some of the racing series, even comparing it to some of the national series, uh, the the dirt racing, uh, it, it's one of those grassroots types of racing, and you can go from your local dirt track all the way up to the World of Outlaws and the All-Stars. And it, everybody is into it because the shows are just incredibly competitive.
3: Yeah. And I mean, there's a huge market. Um, you have to be able to, I guess, audience to certain people, um, especially when you're trying to sell yourself as a business or an advertising location. Uh, but nonetheless, there are a ton of opportunities available, whether it be the audience you're able to reach the uh, social media views that you guys can obtain. Um, the television ratings that uh, CBS Sports and T V are able to bring in. Um, I mean, even that, but uh, online streaming as well, that's been huge too. And those are a lot of items that I've tried to implement in my marketing decks as I'm running around to new companies. If I can show them a little bit of what we're able to bring to the company, then it kind of helps out on my end to bring them on board as a sponsor.
0: You know, she said some, Kristen said something interesting to me too in our conversation and Carl kind of, Carl Bowser, her, Bobby uh, echoed it. He said, You know, a a lot of guys go out there with the mindset for uh, the X amount of dollars, you can get this amount of space on the car. And they said, Really, you need to approach it from a different perspective, as in, what can we do to help your business? Is that what you find to be most successful?
3: Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, uh, there's a lot of people that don't even care and they don't even have social media. So, what they want is they go to the track every week and they want to be able to see their logo. So if they don't care what you do for them outside of being at the speedway, then you need to be able to attest to what those guys want. You have to know what the people are looking for that you're trying to speak with. But I would say 75% of the time, a lot of it is what you can do for these people outside of racing. Um, They're not going to give you money if they can't think that they can get money. So it's a lot of, I rub your back, you rub mine, but you have to be able to sell yourself enough to prove that you're the right choice and decision for them to make. Um, I know Kristen went to uh, school for marketing, I believe. So she's probably one of the better ones in this area in regards to that. Um, she knows a lot more about that stuff than a lot of us do. And, uh, she's written a lot of reports on it too. So, um, things like that are, uh, articles you always want to try and check yourself up on and. Just make sure you're reading everybody not just uh, her stuff but um, even in auto racing uh, if you get speedway illustrated magazines and stuff like that every so often they'll pump out a couple articles in regards to looking for sponsors and uh, you need to have a little checklist written down and just make sure you're uh, following all proper procedures
0: now obviously you can't get the car on the track without the sponsors but the other half of it uh, are your team members and I know it's very important to the guys to keep some consistency among that. So talk a little bit about your crew, how long you guys have been together, and uh, how important it is to your efforts.
3: Uh, the main group is definitely my father, Mark Flick, my mother, Laura Flick, um, Rod Cason, Doug Flick, uh, Dave Ferguson. Those guys have been with me basically since we've had the street stock. So um, to be able to transition into the uh, sprint car, And still have success with the same group of people. It feels really good. Um, My girlfriend, Ashley Brown's a huge help, uh, as well as Matt Allen, Jordan Keebler, Jacob Burkholder, uh, Dave Brammel, a lot of guys that we've brought on board and some younger kids too that we're trying to teach. And uh, hopefully they can get as much enjoyment out of this as we can. They all bust their butts for me. I can't thank them enough for it. Um, I normally can't pay them, but they understand that. Uh, But I'm usually able to help uh, get them into the races a few times too and Uh, We'll always pay to cover a couple shirts for them or anything they want at the track. So um, it's definitely a group effort. There's no doubt about it. And I can be pretty rough on my crew guys sometimes if we're having a bad night. So uh, they take it like champs, and they never uh, get upset about me or get upset to me for anything. So uh, we always remain pretty calm at the Speedway and stuff like that. And we're all a bunch of good friends too. So um, even if the races do get rained out or we're having coronavirus issues like this, we're still down in the garage laughing, getting stuff done, and having a good time.
0: I don't know a successful driver who isn't hard on the crew because they just, you know, you want to be at the front. And when you're not at the front, you want to know why. Yep.
3: I I mean, I, I make a lot of mistakes myself, too. And I tell these guys all the time that if I screw up, I want you to tell me. And I don't get upset at them for trying to tell me when I did it wrong. And um, I'm a pain in the butt when it comes to making sure my stuff's prepped properly. And I don't care who it is. If it's the head mechanic of IndyCar, if he does something, I want to check it and make sure it's right. And that's just the way I am because this is my money and my life on the line. And, uh, I want to be able to go out and have success, but you can't do it if people are making mistakes and wrecking race cars. Uh, lucky enough, we don't have that situation with my guys. Um, I double check everything, but we don't have mistakes. So everybody's pretty clean with what they do. Uh, we don't usually have any sort of mechanical failure that's crew related. If we do run into some sort of issue, it's usually just worn out parts that I try to stretch through in the race cars. So, uh, I'm very fortunate with the amount of people that I have with me and how well they back me.
0: So, you talked a little bit about last year. So, what do you got shaking this year as far as 2020? What's your schedule look like? What are you planning on doing on Fridays, Saturdays? Are you going to race any Sundays? Well,
3: first and foremost, we got to get this coronavirus stuff out of the way. So, I hope everybody's staying healthy in regards to that and staying out of the way. Uh, I'm guessing that if we just all conform to the pressure here and we take our time and just kind of stay socially distanced, as they say, for a couple weeks, it'll clear up a little bit quicker. Uh, if we can get this taken care of, though, that's pretty much our plan. We'll uh, stick with learnervilles on Fridays. It's pretty much the only place we can get to um, within working distance uh, after we all get off on Fridays. Um, Saturdays and Sundays, though, we can pretty much venture out to wherever we want as long as we get back home in time for work Monday morning. Uh, We'll stick to Port Royal on Saturdays or any big special shows, uh, focus somewhere out in central Pennsylvania, whether it be Ceilings Grove or Lincoln when port's off. Uh, Then uh, there's a few Saturday shows where nothing's running, so we'll head out to um, Sharon uh, out here in Ohio. So uh, Sharon's about two hours west for us, and all the central PA stuff's about three to four hours east of us. Uh, but the central PA stuff definitely pays a lot better and it's more consistent. So we'll continue to support them and help support the Lehigh Valley restaurant group with red Robin enterprises and uh, their corporation. And then uh, any chance we get, we'll come out here to Sharon, try and see if we can find some speed there. And then Sundays, if there's nothing big running out in central PA, we'll try and support tri city. And uh, I believe it's Merle black is the owner. Um, What he's done and the purse he's put up has been huge for us. And it's a relatively easy track for us to get to just about two hours north. Um. So if we can get that done in time and still be able to get home at a reasonable time, then uh, we'll continue to try and support that on Sunday So,
0: Awesome. Well, we wish you luck this year. Uh, talk a little bit about why some of the casual sports fans should take a ride up to Lernerville, head out to Port Royal, go up to a place like Sharon check out a sprint car race, maybe even uh, head up and check out the uh, World of Outlaws show when they come into town. Why should a casual sports fan, a stick and ball fan, take a Friday or a Saturday night to go to their local dirt track?
3: Man, you won't find a rush like uh, what a race car can give you. Um, There's a lot of people that think it's boring, but a lot of those people go without understanding the sport, in my opinion. Um, If they can go uh, try and do a little bit of research into it, figure out the rivalries, figure out who the underdogs are, figure out who the the big names are, you know, find somebody that they can cheer for. If they start to get involved emotionally, then it sucks them in. And then if you can get to a speedway and find some sort of spot, uh, like what I consider a spot is Williams Grove down the back straightaway at the opening, Port Royal down near the fence in turn one, Larnerville down near the fence in turn one, those places really give you an up close and personal view of what kind of speed and power these cars have and what kind of athletes that the drivers are behind the wheel. And uh, it's incredible to watch. Um, I just wish some of the people that try this would experience a few of the things around the speedway and go into it with a little bit more uh, understanding instead of trying to just go there expecting to just watch something and not be emotionally invested. Uh, If they can focus on what I was saying earlier, I really believe that they'll continue to come back.
0: So who do you think you're going to be, um, going to be fighting for the championship with at Lernerville this year. Who you got your eye on?
3: (laughs) Um, I won in 15, 17, and 18, and the two times I lost, it was to Jack Soderman. So I don't know what it is about him, but if anybody can knock me off, it's going to be Jack, so i got to watch out for my buddy him.
0: Yeah, Jack Stout. i I got to tell you, all you guys that run Lernerville, all the guys that I've gotten to know, uh, you guys are a great bunch. And What really impresses me about Uh, the dirt trackers and really you see it in all forms of motorsports it's how when somebody has a problem how all the teams go over and see what they can do and it's you know it's funny it's competition on the track but it's a family in the garage area
3: yeah I would like to think so too and uh with this coronavirus thing that everything went down you know the world's in so much panic and hysteria right now you don't know what to think and everybody makes their own opinions but we were able to get out racing one last time before everything got shut down. And being a Port Royal, I mean, if, if you just shut your mind off to social media, it feels like nothing else is going on. Everybody's there for the same goal and that's to have fun, watch races, and uh, all the drivers want to win. So, I mean, I agree with you on everything you're saying there. Being at the racetrack and being involved with the people there, it's, it's not anything that you can find in any other sport.
0: Well, we're super excited. We added Lou Long to our staff at Pittsburgh Racing Now. He's going to be covering Central PA for us. So he'll be out there at Port Royal, Lincoln, Williams Grove, filing reports for us. He actually did for uh, the first two weeks. So we're excited about expanding our coverage. So uh, you'll be running into him out there. So uh, get the Red Robin uh, Fence by Maintenance Service four-tenth sprint car up front, and uh, you'll be talking to him quite a bit, we hope.
3: I talk to Lou all the time. Lou and I are good friends, and he's covered my father for a long time as well, so I'll be more than happy to talk to him anytime he stops out.
0: So we're excited about that expansion, and uh, we appreciate you taking time out to talk with us tonight, and we're excited to try and grow what we're trying to do here, and uh, we couldn't do it without uh, you guys taking time out of your schedule, so we really appreciate it.
3: It was a lot of fun, and thank you guys for the respect you gave me on the line and in person as well, so I appreciate it, and best of luck with everything.
0: Thanks, AJ. We appreciate it. Good luck the remainder of the year. Hopefully, we can kick this virus's butt, and we'll get back to the track as soon as possible. (laughs) See you guys. Let's go racing. We couldn't agree more with AJ. Let's go racing. But remember, in order to do that, everybody needs to pay attention what the health professionals are saying in regards to the coronavirus.
2: COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. Symptoms of this respiratory disease may include fever, cough, and shortness of breath. These symptoms may show up 2 to 14 days after exposure. If you are experiencing these symptoms and have come into contact or are in an area with an ongoing outbreak, please call a hotline and or consult with a physician. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov forward slash COVID-19. Thank you.
0: That'll do it for another edition of the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. Thanks for joining us, race fans. Don't forget to stay up to speed on all of the local racing news, as well as the latest in the world of NASCAR, IndyCar, and sports cars at pittsburghracingnow.com. Any use of this podcast without the express written consent of Pittsburgh Racing Now is prohibited. Thanks for logging on and listening. I'm Scott Stiller. Talk to you next week.